Well, hey there, and welcome back. You are going to love today's guest. She just exudes positivity, and she's the real deal when it comes to what it means to be truly happy. Now, Kim Strobel is a leadership and happiness coach whose work shapes the way people and leaders show up in life. This interview is so good. You are going to love it. But before I introduce her, I wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart for the outpouring of love and support that you have shown me in the podcast this year. This episode marks the first anniversary of the Vision Driven Mom, one entire year. Can you believe that this is the 78th episode? And we are just getting started. So thank you again for your love and support this past year and stay tuned for the big news. Now I'm putting the finishing touches on the Vision Driven Mom movement right now, and I will share all of the goodness when it's ready. In the meantime, be on the lookout for the big announcement. Now, if you haven't already, download the Vibe Care Toolkit or at www.vibecaretoolkit.com dot com that will get you on my email list and you will be the first to know about all of the goodness that's yet to come now let's dig into this week's interview kim strobel is a leadership and happiness coach who helps businesses and organizations prioritize their health and well-being so they can reach new levels in their personal and professional lives as a nationally recognized speaker and happiness coach kim empowers others to take control of their health wellness and happiness with simple habits to create work-life flow. When she's not rescuing dogs or downing a McDonald's Diet Coke, Kim's contagious high energy style has the unique ability to embolden her audiences. Motivational, inspirational, and always approachable, Kim's real talk attitude is a refreshing approach that authentically connects with hearts and humans everywhere. Now, without further ado, I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. And here's Kim. This is the Vision Driven Mom podcast, and I'm your host, Tracy Nolan Bierman, for moms, by moms who believe that anything is possible, even in the midst of motherhood. Each week, you'll hear firsthand relatable stories from moms that have journeyed through motherhood, from fear, loss, and heartbreak, to healing, empowerment, and success. Motherhood is truly the journey of a lifetime, so let's enjoy the ride together. Well, hey, Kim, and welcome to the Vision Driven Mom podcast. I am so excited to have you here today. Thank you, Tracy. I'm really excited to do this interview with you. It's my pleasure. Yes, yes. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey and becoming a happiness coach. I'd love to hear that. I love to hear the stories and a happiness coach. I mean, that's what a beautiful thing. Well, let me just tell you that. Okay. So let me back this out. I, I was a fourth grade school teacher Mm -hmm. and then I became like a curriculum director. Uh, And then I launched my education consulting business, which meant that I provided professional development trainings for teachers Um, across the country. And then I decided I'm going to be a motivational speaker because I think that's my jam. So I added motivational speaker and I really started to travel to just schools, education conferences, and really do a lot of like, you know, motivational talks. And then I decided to coin myself as the happiness coach, which means that I started to not just work in schools and education, but I actually 
work now with businesses, corporations, schools on that happiness and well-being piece. And then I also work with women who want to live bigger, bolder, braver lives. Okay. Mm, so I'm just going right. through the real fast version there, but I have to tell you that many times when I'm standing behind the curtain and I'm getting ready to be introduced to thousands of people in the crowd and they say, and we have a happiness coach in the house. I'm like, oh my God, like 90% of those people hate me before I even step out from behind the curtain. Right. I, right? Like, I, I get it. What's right. a happiness coach? Who's happy all the time? What's this bullshit? I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss or not. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, bull crap. Um, and so let me tell you why I'm a happiness coach. It actually was born out of a very, very dark time in my own life. Um, Tracy, you can see, you and I can see each other. You can see that I'm a pretty high-strung person. I move fast. I talk fast. I was that anxiety-ridden little kid, you know, bundle of nerves, but functioned completely normally. Um, but I did start to have these episodes. Um, and when I look back, I actually see that I probably had some type of anxiety disorder mm. at, when I was in grade school, you know, mm. but what happened was um, little things, little things would, would come up and, and I would be like, I wouldn't want um, to go to Disney World when I was in fifth grade because I was afraid that my brothers would get lost or taken or stolen or kidnapped. And it was such a huge fear that my mom like took me to a counselor. She's like, what, this is weird. What's wrong. My fifth grade kid doesn't want to go to Disney world. Cause she thinks her brothers are going to, you know, just kind of that wild, crazy mind that over fought everything. Right. But what really happened is, is when I was a sophomore in high school, I started having these episodes where basically what we know is, within one fourteenth of a second, my amygdala would fire and tell me that I was in grave danger. Mm. And so that's how quickly I would be sitting in class, walking through the hall, driving five minutes home from basketball practice, wherever it might be. And within one fourteenth of a second, I would shake all over. I would feel like I was going to lose consciousness. I knew my name, but I didn't know my name. I knew I was sitting in a classroom, but I was confused about where I was. I had feelings of unreality, confusion, disorientation, um, just just the, the, the most terror-filled feeling a person can imagine. Yeah. So from about age 16 until about age 24, my life became a living hell mm. back then we didn't know about anxiety disorders so i wasn't even diagnosed with an anxiety disorder we didn't know about panic disorder they actually thought i had some kind of seizure disorder all i know is that this vibrant go get getter type of girl that i was pretty confident became a shell of a person oh, because i literally was the 22-year-old married woman who could not be left at home by herself without feeling like I was going to die or go crazy or lose my mind. I, I did not understand what was happening. I struggled to drive the five minutes to work and get to my office as a secretary at the time who made $8 an hour. Mm. I struggled to drive to Walmart or even go in the Walmart store. Or if I went into Walmart with my husband, he had to stay within my vicinity the whole time. Wow, Kim. 
Therefore, Tracy, I lost all confidence of who I was as a person. Right. Um, and eventually I got a diagnosis of panic disorder. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, here's the thing, Tracy, not everybody understands panic disorder. And so for those people who are listening, I, I want to explain what this feels like. If I were to put you on a train track and I told you that a train was coming at you 500 miles per hour and you saw the train coming. And I told you that that train would stop one inch before it hit mm. you and that you were completely safe and you were not in any danger because the train would stop. Can you just imagine that the pure fear that you would feel? I can't even No. Mm -hmm. And I was feeling like that 10 to 15 times a day. Wow. And the, what made it even worse was at least your brain could go, oh, I feel like this because I almost lost my life mm -hmm. where my brain said it had nothing reasonable to attach the fear to, which then made me feel like I was crazy, broken, flawed, weak, right. all of these things. And I, I just loathed. I, I didn't understand how a two-year-old could go to Walmart and function better than me, Tracy. Oh, yeah, right. So I really did have that bathroom rug moment where my husband at the time left for work, which meant I had about 20 minutes of just, oh, my God, because then you start to monitor all your symptoms like, okay, my safe person is gone. How do I feel? Am I going to pass out? Do things look weird? Am I losing my mind? And for whatever reason that day, I remember going to the phone on the wall and picking it up to, to call him because sometimes he could talk me through it. Mm -hmm. And I remember putting my hand on the phone because that's the first instinct is I got to get to safety. I got to get somebody who can help me. Right. And for whatever reason that day, I released my hand from the phone. I went and laid on the forest green bath mat. I don't know if you remember the early nineties that we all decorated our homes in forest green and burgundy. Right. right. I do remember that. <laughs> and I curled up on the forest green bath mat in a fetal position. And I really just pleaded for God to take my life. Mm. I just, I didn't, for lack of a better word, I didn't have the courage to do it myself, but I said, please just take me from this life because every 15 minutes of every day is such a struggle for me. And I don't know how to fix whatever the hell is wrong with me. Right. And at that time, I don't know what it is. I don't know if I heard a voice or if it was just a strong intuitive sense, but something said, you are made for more mm. and you're not done yet. So get off this bath mat and figure this out. And so after something shifted, I started going, I, I got a diagnosis of panic disorder. I got on Zoloft, which I believe saved my life. I went to a psychologist. I did tons of cognitive behavioral therapy. I did exposure therapy. And really, Tracy, I, I, I just threw myself into the self-help field and decided, like, I just can't be a victim of this anymore. Right. 
I just have to stand in the warrior mode and I have to take 100% responsibility for my life and I have to put the hard work in to get there. And that's when I started really getting turned on to the field of happiness and the study of happiness and well-being. You know, I always say I am the girl who struggled to walk to her mailbox and I am the girl today who can still at times struggle to do simple things. But I am also the girl who gets in a plane, flies across the country and steps out behind the curtain with 4,000 people in the crowd. Yes. You know, so what I try to do, which has been hard, is to honor the fierce woman that I know I am, but also to have love and compassion for the part of me that still struggles. Mm. Oh, that's so beautiful, Kim. Now it's hard work. Yeah, I, it is. I, I sometimes loathe what I still sometimes feel is the weaker parts of myself. Right. But I also know that those are the very parts that have led me to who I am today. Yeah. But it's Kim, <laughs> what in the world? I did not, I didn't know that story. My heart goes out to you. And that's you've done a complete shift in, and it is hard. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to do the work all day, every day. Now, I I also, I have anxiety. I don't have it. I didn't have it to that extent. Yeah. There's a difference between anxiety and panic, but it's very related. I've had panic attacks, but not like, not like you have. So um, my heart goes out to you and I'm so glad that you are here and that you are um, sharing your work with, with our listeners and that you have turned that around. I think the, the biggest takeaway from that whole story is that you took devastation and completely turned it end over end. You've completely turned it around. Okay. So Let's dig into, um, we, we mentioned, you talked about happiness research when we were, um, when we were going back and forth about the interview. Can, can you tell us about the happiness research and what is that? Like, seriously, there's research about happiness? <laughs> happiness researchers out there. So happiness has actually been studied at the University of Pennsylvania for the last 50 years mostly led by a man named Martin Seligman, who wrote the book Flourish. Okay, Flourish. How do we feel good and really flourish in all parts of our life? And then most recently, in the last 15 to 20 years, it's been studied by a man named Sean Acor. You know, I love that man. Yes, smiley, happy. Yes, I love that man. Oprah brought him to the forefront, and he created the positive psychology class at Harvard University, which is the number one class that students are signing up for. And so between those two people and a lady named Sonia Lubomirsky, who wrote The How of Happiness, they have been like my gurus in studying Mm. and learning what they have found about happiness research. So here's what we know. We all have what's called a set baseline happiness level. So maybe my set baseline happiness level is here. And who knows, Tracy, maybe yours is a little higher than mine, which means that you and I might go shopping today and get a new wardrobe and some new shoes and a new Kate Spade purse, and we'll feel happier for a while. Or maybe 
we get into a new relationship and we have a happiness boost. We get a new job. We get a job promotion. We make a little more money. We get a new car. Things that are great things to happen in our life and our happiness goes up for a period of time. But what we know is that it will always go back to the baseline. Right. It okay. might take two hours. It might take two months. It might take two years. But we get these boost in happiness levels and then we always go back and we function at our baseline level. Mm. Now, what's very interesting is the same is true for when we dip in our happiness levels. You and I, uh, and the brain science is very strong around understanding this, that you and I or human beings can endure really terrible things in our life. We can endure cancer, illness, death, grief, loss, injustices, trauma. And most of us will actually reset ourselves back to our original baseline level after a period of time. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, sometimes we fight, I fight with the research because I kind of think like there are certain things that I feel like that if those things happen to me, I don't know that I would ever regain my happiness but then all I have to do is look around at people I know yeah. who have endured the unimaginable. And most of them, if they consciously choose to go on to live very meaning filled, happy filled, joy filled lives. Right. Right. So here's the next question because all of your listeners are going, but Kim, where does this baseline happiness level come from? How do we know what it is? What does right. So I want you to think of happiness as a pie chart. And here's what we know, that 50% of your long-term happiness is genetic. Mm, right. It comes from your mom or your dad or a mixture of both. And when I tell people this, Tracy, I'll see like 80% of the heads drop and they're literally going, uh oh, I'm so screwed. <laughs> I'm so screwed. I was just thinking that, uh-oh. <laughs> genetic tendency to this. Okay. I, there is, you know, you might be born to a mom who doesn't mean to, but she picks out every single negative thing and notices every single negative thing because she's genetically wired that way. And your dad might be the same way or the opposite. So there's, there's a genetic tendency to this, but stay with me. There's, there's still 50% of the pie left. Okay. Mm, right. Okay. I love the 50% of the pie, by the way, Kim, because there's always 50% of the pie. Yeah. But I'm still going <laughs> to shock you with this next stat. Here we go. Only about 10% of your long-term happiness comes from your external circumstances. Mm, you know, I believe that. <laughs> I know we all believe it, but we don't yeah. live it. Right. right. So what's right. an external circumstance? Okay. Here you go. Are you married, single, divorced, or widowed? Um, did your spouse leave you? Did your spouse not leave you? Are you married to someone who's really, you know, wonderful, loving, good to you? Um, do you need to lose five pounds or do you need to lose 50 pounds? Do you drive a $2,000 car or a $50,000 car? What kind of home do you live in? What kind of mm -hmm. career do you serve in? What kind of money do you make? These are all external circumstances. Right. But they are the very things that you and I and everyone else chases. Yeah. We say, if I could just achieve this, I'd be happier. If I could just find the right partner, I'd be happier. If I could just make 
$100,000 a year, I'd be happier. If we could just afford the bigger home with more space, I'd be happier. Right. And, or, or if this hadn't been done to me, I'd be happier. Right. And what that means is, is that we let more, we let external circumstances eat up way more than 10% of the pie. Mm, we do it. I love that. That's we important, right? It is. Now, we let here's it. the thing. I, if my husband, who I, I love very dearly, leaves me tomorrow, I can guarantee you that more than 10% of my happiness is going to be stolen for a while. For a while, right. The problem, Tracy, is if a year from now or two years from now, I'm still going, woe is me, poor me, my life sucks, Scott left me. That's me choosing mm. to allow it to fill. Because right. what the happiness research says is that if I were to take every single external circumstance that you have, and I would throw all of those together, it is still only responsible for about 10% of your long-term happiness. Wow, that's incredible. I love that happiness is research-based, that your work is research-based, because a lot of us need that, right? Oh, well, as long as it's research, you know, if it's been researched, that is brilliant. So tell us how, so we've got the 50% that is genetic, we've got the 10% that is external, what about the 40%? Yeah, that leaves 40% up for grabs, Tracy. Right, 40% yeah. up for grabs. I yeah. love that. And this is this is the work that I do because every human being has the ability to increase their happiness levels by up to 40%. And you're going to love what that 40% encompasses because it's a lot of the work that you do, Tracy. Oh, perfect. It encompasses these three things. Thoughts, behaviors, actions. Mm, you know, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts, behaviors, actions. Right. And so what I'd like to do is I'm going to give you the top five research-based happiness habits, because if I only give your people one, they'll be like, I've got to know what the other four are. Right. So I'm okay. going to quickly list out the five and I'm only going to go deep with one. Does that work with you? Perfect. Okay. Yes. So here they are in no uncertain order. Top five research-based happiness habits that work on that 40%. One, gratitude. Mm -hmm. Two, move your body 30 minutes a day. Oh, goodness. You're so speaking my language. <laughs> Three, the practice of meditation. Mm -hmm. Four, random acts of kindness. Mm, beautiful. And five, social connections making time for relationships. Oh, I love it. I love Those it. Those are the top five. But what I really want to teach your listeners is why gratitude, hands down, is one of the very best things that you can be doing. And I know in the interview that you did with my podcast, She Finds Joy, we were talking about how emotions have vibrational frequencies. Right. And that gratitude is the highest at 900. That is higher than love, hope, joy, happiness. Gratitude is such a high vibe state to be in. Yep. 
And so the happiness research says that when I can get you to write down three different things that you're thankful for each and every day for 21 days, I actually create a new neural feedback loop in mm. your brain. Right. And so here's what we know about human beings. If you're an average human being, you're having about 70,000 thoughts a day. Did you know that, Tracy? I did. I thought it was 60, but 67, whatever it is. It is like a 60 to 90, right? Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. And so what we also know is that if you're an average human being, that 80% of your thoughts in a day's time are negative. Right. Which means that if we're average human beings, when we put our head on the pillow at night, most of us have had 56,000 negative thoughts. Wow. (laughs) And we're like, what? That's a lot, right? Yeah. But it's because most of them are on default and they're running in the subconscious part of our mind and we're not even aware of them. I think that's key, right? Because we think of all the thoughts but the thoughts, they're not necessarily true thinking, they're patterns, right? Yeah. That, that, and I think if we all, and, and this is another thing that, um, that uh, Wayne Dyer, we talked about Wayne Dyer, I loved Wayne Dyer, still love listening to Wayne Dyer, but he, ta- he, he, uh, he has a quote, something like, don't believe everything you think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because your thoughts aren't necessarily true. Right. Right. Most They're just patterns. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know if you ever thought about this, you know, you've ever like been the observer and watched a thought and you're like, where in the world did that come from? Like, that's yeah. not even like, I don't know where that came from. And what's crazy is the 80% of thoughts that are negative, 95% of the 80% are the exact same thoughts you had the day before. Right. Right. I know. And that's crazy, right? No wonder where we get stuck in a loop. Yeah, we get stuck in loops. And, and here's the, the, the reason why. When we look back at caveman times, right, uh, generations and generations before us, uh, human beings or whatever you would call a human being had an amygdala. And the amygdala is the part of the brain that is trained to scan for negativity and danger in order to keep you safe. Right. So back then, they literally had their amygdalas scanned for danger 24 seven to keep them safe. The issue is, is it's 2021. We still have an amygdala and the amygdala's number one job is still to scan for negativity. Right, right. But what we know is that when we get you to write down and the research says that it's more powerful to write it than to say it. There's nothing wrong with saying it, but when you can put pen to paper, it seeps into your subconscious mind. When I can get you to write three different things you're thankful for every single day for the next 21 days, we actually rewire your brain. I love that about the brain. It's amazing, right? It's neuroplasticity. We now know we can change the brain. And so your brain has thousands and thousands of roadways and whatever roadway you travel the most is the one that's the most ingrained, which is the one you're going to go down quicker and faster and more often the next day. But when we do this, we create a whole new neural pathway loop, which means that you go throughout your day and you start to see more right than what's wrong. Right. And because gratitude is such a high vibe state to be in, 
Tracy, as you know, it is just a game changer. It is absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've, um, I practice that in my own life. I teach it. And I like to call it the back door to abundance. Gratitude is the back door door to abundance, the back door to abundance, because we can change. We can, we can start our day, right? Anytime in the middle of the day too, but we can start our day immediately setting the tone for the rest of the day. what I tell people, and and I actually, we created um, a gratitude prompt and 21 day tracker that I can send you the link to, and you can, you can include it in the show notes, but it's basically, it's it's great to use for yourself, but also to use with your family and your kids, because we Mm -hmm. give you five different ways to start looking for gratitude in your day. And then if you want, you can use the 21 day tracker. Or you can also, you know, go to TJ Maxx, get a pretty little journal with a fun quote on it. And all I do, Tracy, is I put the date down and then I write the words, I am thankful, dot, dot, dot. Because do you remember what Wayne Dyer says about I am? Yeah. I mean, that's that's who we are. I am. Yeah. Yeah. They hold a vibrational frequency as well. Right. And then I jot down three different things I'm thankful for. Now, I also want to say this. I'm not perfect at it. I want your, your listeners to be perfect at it for 21 days. But I'll tell you, for me personally, I'm really great at doing my gratitude journal Monday through Friday because it's part of my morning routine. Right. And then my routine slips on the weekend and it's really not a big deal. I just pick it back up. Yeah. So does that mean we don't have to be perfect with it? Okay. I sometimes think, oh gosh, this is one more darn thing I need to be doing, you know, and then if I mess up, I berate myself for not sticking to it again. Give yourself some grace, my friend. It's okay. Right. But it is something that I find is a great momentum builder and has a great ripple effect in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you said too. Well, for, for one thing, the neuroplasticity of the brain, we're able to create the, those new neural pathways. The more we practice, the easier it becomes, right? And the easier, exactly. and, and this is what I found too, Kim, is that when you are in the practice of, of finding three things to be grateful for, I call this gratitude for like when you are, when you are, when you, when you're in the practice of finding what you're, what you're grateful for every day or as much as you can, right? The easier it is to find something that you're grateful for when you're in difficult times. That's if you the power are, of it, Tracy. That's it. Because if you're can in you a not difficult do it when time, you're feeling great, but can you do it when you're feeling like crap too? That's, that's where it. The power of it lies. But to pick it up when you are in that place, when you can't, don't even think that anything, like this is why we want to start these things now, these practices. Life is about practice, right? The more you practice the gratitude, the more you're, you're raising your frequency to that 900. That's a lot. What did you, what did you tell me the, the, um, that shame is? Shame is 20. Shame is 20. Gratitude is 900. You can start your day every single day at, at a high frequency. Yeah, I mean, aligning yourself. Yeah. It, and it's a beautiful, for one thing, it, it feels good, right? It just feels good. You're, you're changing the, neuro, the, the, um, the, uh, the neural pathways and what you do and the vibe that you are are in, that's what you're sharing with the world. That's what you're yeah. sharing with your family, right? This is what I tell people, Tracy. I will look out into the crowd and I'll be like, how many of you 
want to raise your happiness levels by up to 40%. And like everybody raises their hand. And I'm like, well, here's what the research says that very few of you will actually, you can't just have the desire, right? You have to have the practice. You have to action always has to back up desire. This is a two minute practice. Yeah. It's a two minute practice. That's a, that's a total game changer. So, you know, I feel like one of the things that I really have to help women with is, and this is the type of client I think I attract, and it's the type of client that you attract. They are people who do, who understand that knowledge is not power. Right. Exactly. They are action takers. Right. That's exactly it. That knowing that it does take practice, that we don't just, you know, you, you teach law of attraction as well. It's not just thinking it, this is what I want and bing, no, no, it takes practices, right? It takes, it takes some work. We don't have, it doesn't have to be hard work, but it does take work to take your life to the next level. Kim, I have loved this and I, and I love Sean Acor. Oh my gosh. And the work that he's doing in the world, the work that you're doing in the world. Um, and I'm so grateful that you took the time today and that we were able, we've been doing this back and forth and we were finally able to find this time and make this work. Um, can you tell us about a time in motherhood when you either overcame something or achieved something that just felt impossible? Oh my goodness. Absolutely. So, um, when my son, so I was in a, um, a, a, an unhealthy marriage the first time around and my husband and I, uh, you know, really hadn't been intimate for nine months and I got pregnant. And, um, so when my son was two months old, I left the marriage, um, and I made $8 an hour. <laughs> I barely made enough to pay the daycare bill and make ends meet. Um, and it was just really a very, very, very brutal time in my life. Like I never planned to be divorced or not, you know, of course nobody plans that, but I just didn't think I would ever be a divorcee. Um, and I certainly didn't think I would bring a child into the world with parents who were pretty much already divorced, but, um, you know what I think back to that young 20, um, which at the time I couldn't, you know. I didn't think I could even mentally take care of kids three years before I got pregnant because I was in the throes of panic disorder. So I was right. grateful to be in a mental state. But I just think I really showed my resiliency through all of that because um, it was a very difficult road to travel. And I had a lot of people in my community who didn't know my story. So they were shaming me for mm. having a young child and divorcing his dad. And so um, I look back at what that young woman had to go through and I see that she really did it. Yeah. She, she made a, she, I chose to save my soul versus right. the marriage, you know, that is beautiful. I love that story. Not that you had to go through that, but I love what you just said. I had to save my soul. And when you save your own soul, you're saving your son's soul too, right? That's what I've learned. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've learned. That is beautiful. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you for coming on the show, for sharing your uh, very vulnerable um, uh, story in the beginning and this one as well, and the powerful work 
of happiness and gratitude and that it is possible. Like I, I, I love now, you know, I, I, I'm a visual person. So I love that. I love seeing that 40%, right? Yeah. I, we, I can, I have 40, I, I have responsibility. I can claim 40% of Absolutely. that happiness. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, we talk a lot about that um, in my, my Facebook group, which is the same name as my podcast. Like it's, she finds joy. So that's where people can find me on on Facebook or my podcast. And then my website is just kimstrobel.com. So you can go there for some more happiness resources and tips as well. Absolutely. Kim, thank you so much. And it's been, it's been really lovely to finally connect with you. Yeah, you as well. Thanks for giving me this space to share my story. Absolutely. Goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Vision Driven Mom podcast. Now, if you haven't already, go ahead and download the High Vibe Toolkit. It's a mom's guide for taking yoga off the mat and into your life. You'll learn how to create your own unique toolkit full of tools for raising your vibe quickly and getting yourself out of a funk in record time next time you find yourself in one. Because funk happens, right? You'll learn how to tap into your inner mentor to cultivate more joy, more connection, and more harmony in your life as you return to your natural high vibe self. You'll raise the vibe in your home as you reclaim your own inner vibe. Now, this is the only guide designed to help moms who want to feel alive keep their yoga vibe flowing both on and off the mat, no matter what comes next. So download the High Vibe Toolkit at www.highvibetoolkit.com and reclaim your inner vibe. Anything is possible, even in the midst of motherhood. Goodbye for now.